Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. So glad you found us, if this is your first time. And we certainly hope it's not your last time. And we'd like to give a special shout out to you. And if you could help us by clicking on the digital connection card up above and just letting us know who you are. And if there's a prayer request you might have, or if there's a question we might be able to answer. And again, we're grateful that you've tuned in. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you and say we're grateful too for all that you're about. And together, as we lean into our time of worship here online. Next Wednesday, February 22nd, is Ash Wednesday, and so we begin the journey of Lent. And one of the things we're going to do here in our outpost is we're going to lean into a 40-day journey as we lean into Mark Batterson's book called Draw the Circle. I'm going to be preaching through the book Circle Maker in the weeks ahead, which is where Draw the Circle takes its root. But the practice we want to lean into, and I would invite you, there's a link here to where you can purchase a copy of that book on Amazon. We would invite you to join us in the journey. There's an opportunity through our friends at Rise FM, Angie in the Morning. She does the morning show. She is going to be doing a private group on Facebook. And again, that invitation is here. In fact, here's Angie. I had a chance to have a conversation with her earlier this week. just think it was such an encouragement when you popped it up on Facebook to say you're going to do this and you're inviting others into it. Why I started it for myself, honestly, is because I came to that season was like, what's next? I need to do this again. And this time I'm going to invite others to do it because I've been looking for ways to try to interact. Right. And um, if that's what God's calling me to do, then I need to do more things like this. And I had during uh, right before COVID, I had a Bible study at my church that ended up going to Zoom, and then I ended up doing another Zoom Bible study, and it worked out really well because I invited listeners and I had some other people that joined in, and it was really kind of fun. Um, so this was this is one of those things I said this is necessary, and this will be my third time going through it, and um, I just I wanted to be held accountable for it as well. Yeah. Um, Community is an important thing, and that's... Um, give me the, just the context of how you're going to do this. So. Yeah, it, since Ash Wednesday starts on the 22nd, and I'm trying to keep it to an hour, a Zoom meeting on Tuesday night, and what we'll do is, you know, the instructions will go out to everybody who's participating to go ahead and read the introduction, because the introduction is not part of any of the days. And then we can watch the week one video that he has. It's about 13 minutes long. We'll do that on Tuesday night. I can do that through Zoom, you know, so it's kind of cool. And then people can start right up on Wednesday. And so every Tuesday night, we'll watch the next week's video. And then I'll send out, I'm going to do this through Facebook, through a private group, and then they'll be able to have all the videos for every day as well. And if they want to watch them, they can. Excellent. How to leverage it. Well done. And then if they can't make the weekly thing, I'll have those videos up there too. I just want people to have the options of, of participation. You know, sometimes it gets hard, you know, you get halfway through, like with me, I had the first time I went through it, my dad passed away. And so it was like, instantly I'm off track. Right. And I couldn't finish exactly when everybody else did. And I knew how powerful it was. And I said to my husband, you and I have got to do this one together. And he loves it. Um, and then I, I, I knew I needed to do it again. And when I saw that Ash Wednesday was coming, I was like, aha, there's a 40 day period I could use. <laughs> Absolutely. And way to lean into it, because I think in our contemporary culture, the idea of Ash Wednesday 
you know, is really, unless you're in a traditional church, it's sort of lost. Easter being what it is, right. what a perfect time. So what I said was, Ash Wednesday is a 40-day period. This is a perfect opportunity to do something like this. It's about setting aside a time leading up to Easter, and it's the perfect time. Well, and I've, I've said this on the air before. If you are hungry for more of God, and you just don't know what to do next, prayer life because I know that prayer changes everything I can tell you it changed me more than it changed the things I was praying about but if you want to have more of God this is a great place to start because God will meet you in that conversation you're having with him on a daily basis when it's your focus and it's life-changing and I it's going to be different for everybody but it's going to change lives and it's going to change not just the people you're praying for, but the ones who are actually doing the praying. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll hope to join you in that. All right. Well, grateful for your heart, for your passion, and uh, grateful that you spurred this along. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how God uses it, maybe even in spite of our efforts, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to do. I just needed it for me again. Yeah. I'm just hoping that this time um, there's there's just more of a move and that's why I'm doing it. I'm trying to be accountable and I, I needed to reach out to people more. So I'm going to be sending out an email soon to folks who are signing up because um, they have to email me to say I'm in and then right. I've got them. The email I'm sending out will tell people to read the introduction and it'll have the Zoom link. So okay. there you go. Great. Thanks for being faithful and let's see what happens. Let's have a Thanks. conversation. Yeah. I think this is fantastic. And um, gosh, I wish I was over there to hear it for myself because I would love to be there on a Sunday morning. Okay. Thanks, Angie. <laughs> Blessings. Right. Have a great day. See ya. Good. I know it'll take it up a notch, but I hope you'll give consideration. And if not, I'll bring you along as I walk with Angie and others in this conversation. I think it's interesting in the introduction of the book, he says this, that in 1952, a Princeton doctoral student asked Albert Einstein a question. And the question was, what original dissertation research is left? And I'm intrigued and inspired by Einstein's answer, and it was, find out about prayer. I think that's the challenge for each of us today, partly because of the season we find ourselves in that we're not going to prayer over these 40 days because that's the last thing that we can do. It's actually where we need to start. And as we think about our own story here at Linden Road, and as we think about the Capital C Church, it will be a journey. There will be some testing only because of making the commitment to walk in the same direction for 40 days with others. But I think the benefit to each of us individually and corporately for the kingdom can be huge. So I invite you to join me in that. As we continue here in worship, I can't but stop and reflect on what's going on at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. If you've not seen it, it's been incredible that since Wednesday of last week, which is the 8th, they have been walking in a 24-7 time of revival. And as I understand it today, it started with 20 students who just stuck around after worship on their normal Wednesday worship. And what God has done, it's been incredible to where by the end of the first day, more than uh, 300 people joined in. 
And to the point now that there's actually four different venues, as I understand, with literally thousands of people waiting in line to walk in. And as I've watched several hours of it off and on over the last couple of days, it's been incredible to see what God's people have been doing, uh, what the Holy Spirit has been doing in and through them. And as we think about the revival that needs to take place in our culture uh, in things that are so upside down in our world, I'm really encouraged by this. I'm not sure what's afoot, and it's clear that there is something there that's happening. As I heard one pastor who's in retirement, but who is all about missions and kingdom, Bill Aleph, he shared as he was there and visited in a very positive way, because in his generation or two, he can remember the, apparently there was a revival that took place there in the 1970s, and some even earlier on than that, where God's spirit showed up in such an incredible way with the those that were there to move them to take and bear witness to what God wants to do in and through us as his people to be the church. And so I hope you'll be encouraged by that. We're out here today, walking around, talking to people, asking them if the church was listening, what would you tell them? Uh, you know, the church is very, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm having a problem with the church today. Very rarely does the church give actual help, and that's what I mean, because that's its original goal, is to, you know, be God's hands and feet. Uh, but really, it's, you know, they're not really providing real help. Yeah, it's just like, I more trust, like, people I know better, and like, it's not that I don't trust the church, it's more that I, like, wouldn't reach out to them for, like, the like, person I'd go for. Uh, I'm not religious. Well, we're not, we're not Christians. I'm not really religious. I'm not a religious person. I think that the idea of the church has been really corrupted, and there are a lot of churches that aren't actually doing what the church preaches it's supposed to do. And so for that reason, I think I'm very hesitant to it in general. It's more about congregation numbers rather than, like, touching people's hearts. And it's easily, it's easy to make that confusion when you get into it. When you think of the church, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Priests and praying and ceremonies. A group of people coming together to worship God. Where people go and pray. Habitual things on Sundays most mostly. If you feel like you've done something and you need like forgiveness, like you turn to God. So how can the church better connect with people? Um, I think I just I kind of live in the gray area, so anything that feels too boxed in or black and white doesn't feel um, aligned with me. The church? Um, I don't know. I don't think that I would ever go into a church on my own. I don't know, maybe change the image because, especially now, there's, it's not very positive. I have no idea, never thought of it. It just feels like a secret that everybody else is in on but me. So we're in this series called Church, and as we've leaned into it over the last uh, couple weeks, I want to take this time before I get too far into it and take a moment and talk about the Super Bowl ads that ran from He Gets Us last week. There's been a lot of interest, at least in the circles that I run in, both positively and negatively, and mostly negatively, because of how people responded to it. Now, what's interesting here, and I don't know if you saw the ads, but let me uh, we're going to show both of them here in just a moment. But they ran two ads, and the first ad was all about the idea of friendship, and the second ad was all about confrontation. 
Let's check out the first ad, but before we go there, it's kind of interesting that there was a survey that took place immediately after the Super Bowl that wanted to rank out the 50 ads that were played. And the ads from He Gets Us ranked in the 8th and 15th positions of all the ads that were uh, seen on Super Bowl Sunday. So the first ad, is it's called On Being Childlike, and let's take a look. That was number eight in the survey. In Matthew 19, 14, Jesus says, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Luke also says in chapter 18, verse 17, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And the whole focus of that commercial was all about having us see clearly that Jesus calls us to be childlike, not to be immature, but to be childlike in our faith in how we love and how we relate to others. Then in the second ad that ran, and that ran, I think, around 9.45, so it was midway through the third quarter, it's all about confrontation and disagreements. And again, it ranked 15th out of 50. Let's take a look at that. Maybe I'm blind Thinking I can see through this And see what's behind Got no way to prove it So maybe I'm lying Take a look in the mirror What do you see? Do you see it clearer? Or are you deceived? In what you believe Cause I'm only human Luke says to us in chapter 6, verse 28, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Or Matthew says in chapter 6, verse 14, For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. And in particular, in this ad, we have this idea that Jesus could have reacted to his circumstances with anger or avoidance, but instead he countered conflict with God's confounding love. Now, as we think about these things, and again, the disagreements and the reluctance of some to see the benefit of these ads, I need to say a couple things. First is that we need to be discerning. The truth is, when these ads are out there and you can find them on YouTube and share them with others, you don't have to have a formal conversation about these ads unless it sort of pops up in the conversation. And I would encourage you to do that. And over the next days, I'm sure people are still going to be talking about the Super Bowl. And I know the commercials are still getting some traction in terms of people's reactions to them. What we need to be doing is praying for opportunities on how best to have a conversation 
and how to lean into deepening our relationships with other people about what these ads were trying to communicate. Additionally, I think not only do we need to be discerning, we also need to be curious. In fact, I would encourage you to ask people if they saw the ads and, and what did they like about them and how did they feel about seeing what the ads talked about. And, and then when you do share with people, I, I hope you'll speak from your own experience. You don't have to be an expert. Any question you get can lead to another question that can help, that can help focus the conversation around who Jesus is and the hope that he brings. And then finally, I think it's this idea that you need to stay connected. And that's one of the reasons why over the next 40 days, as we begin on uh, Wednesday with the journey of, uh, t- of Lent for the, uh, 2023, that it's all about us being in community together. And we're going to unpack that here a little bit in today's message. That you can use things like this ad, these ads, as a way to encourage uh, your friends and others to connect with you and learn more about who Jesus is and how to build a relationship with them that will be gospel-centered. And so we want to encourage you in that. Again, as we lean into this week's message, I wanted to center this one around the idea of it's all about the gathering of the church, of the gathering of God's people. In fact, I didn't realize this until I was doing my prep for today's message, and I was reminded that when I first came to Linden Road some nine years ago, One of the things we used to do here was a worship bulletin. You may remember those things. We printed them out on paper, and it had the flow of worship. But because of COVID and and just the season we've been in, we've we've not really used those. But I remember being very intentional of removing the idea of worship service to worship gathering. It's about God's people gathering together. Now, as we talked in week one, we talked about what we want to be as a church— We talk about our mission statement, which is to love God, love others with no limits. But then as we unpack that, the idea that we want to be an intentionally devoted church, that we want to be a church that practices irrational generosity, and that also we will unapologetically share the love of Jesus. And you remember last week as we unpacked the story of the four dudes and and Matt, the gentleman who was paralyzed and who they brought before Jesus, we were reminded that I, I think sometimes... We all are so preoccupied, right? I mean, we talked about how in every circumstance, in every church, almost every Sunday, we see, uh, we know there's someone who is amongst us who's in need, and we know there is someone who who cares and and that they lean into, but we also know that many of us are preoccupied and we're focused in the wrong direction. I still don't understand. It's a great story, but I don't understand why the four guys had to dig a hole in the roof. Why didn't the people who saw them climbing the steps say, hey, wait a minute, let's, uh, let's clear the way so you can get to Jesus. Again, I think sometimes we're just so unaware that we lose sight of our opportunity. And then also to be reminded, there are those people that are critical. As the religious leaders, it's like, wait a minute, Jesus is doing something blasphemous. But then finally, it's this idea that we all are people like the man on the mat that needs to have his life changed. And I think that's the thing that in this current season about the church that I want to unpack a couple things that I've learned in some recent research, particularly when I see what's going on in Asbury to hear about the movement of the Holy Spirit and just watching from afar. And there isn't a lot of pretension. There isn't a lot of hoopla. In fact, I see they're not even really doing any technology. It's simply mostly acoustic guitar and mostly people singing songs that are familiar to them. And it's just interesting in that regards. And so when I think about what the church can be, I find that experience really intriguing. 
about God's people gathering together and even the stories I've heard over the week of people getting in their cars and driving down just to see for themselves or people watching online. As I heard Bill Elif share as he's been writing about it, and I'll include a link to his writings here in the worship notes, he is just intrigued by just what God's people are doing and how it starts from something simple and yet because of their faithfulness, it literally is impacting millions of people around the world. Now, here's an interesting thought as we lean into this, as we think about living life in a post-COVID world and living life in a culture that seems so upside down. Recently, Harvard University released a study that was out of their Making Caring Common project. The title of the study is Loneliness in America, How the Pandemic Has Deepened an Epidemic of Loneliness and what we can do about it. And here's what was intriguing about this project. First of all, they say that one out of three people believe these statements. They believe that they have needs in their life and there's no one there to meet them. They also believe that people have hurts to share and they have no one to listen to them. And that finally, they have love to give and no one to receive it. Now, that's amazing. And in fact, when you look at the study, it's not actually a third, it's actually 36%. That means one out of three people are struggling with these thoughts. And we know in the season that we've been in, uh, the idea of isolation, and, and there is this ongoing feeling of loneliness where we really desire to be in community, but we're not quite sure what to do with that. And a sense of feeling uh, wanted and, and people longing to be loved, it's missing in our lives by almost 36%. Now, I want to say clearly that God never intended it that way. As we go to the beginning, literally, of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And when we think about that creation process, all the amazing things that took place. He says, Let there be light. And there was light. And he says, That was good. And then he also says he created day and night, and he, then he created land and water, and all those things he said it was good. And he created the stars and the plants and the fish and the birds, and again, he said it was all good. And then what's amazing in this story is God says something that surprises us, I think. He says something wasn't good. It's interesting that after he creates Adam, after he creates man, there's no one there to celebrate with him. There's no one there to cry with him. There's, there's no one there to laugh with him or share life with him. Because here in chapter 2 of Genesis, he says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And that's an amazing thing, the just right. In fact, I think of my bride Melinda and just all, she's exactly just right for me. And I'm so grateful for her and all that she's about. And yet it's interesting here as we understand uh, the creation of the woman for Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verse 22 and 23, in the New Living T Translation says this, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. And then he says in verse 23, At last the man exclaimed. Now that's kind of cool. It's clear that Adam was, was waiting for this, and he realized that this was going to be more than he could possibly imagine. Now, it's also important for us to see as we lean into this, as we think back to what God said at the beginning, back before he created man, he says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. 
Now, I want you to see that it isn't God saying, let me, or I will. He says, let us make man in our image, that it's a plural understanding, which gives us a better understanding of this idea of who God is and uh, his character and his personhood, the idea that God is three in one. And that's a hard concept to get our minds around. The idea that God is never alone, that before he created anything, that he was, as he told Moses, I am. This idea that God is, that he is in perfect community between himself as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's a hard concept for us to get our minds around. But at the same time, there's three distinct personalities, three distinct individuals, and yet they are united as one God. And so when we think about that, and we then ask the question, why did a God who had community and had unity in himself, why did he create us? Well, it wasn't because he was lonely. It's simply because he wanted uh, to show us his love. He wanted to demonstrate to us as his creation all that he desires for us. And so I need to say, too, that it's really that love isn't just what God does, but we know the scriptures tell us that it is who he is, that God is love. And we know that, too, right, as we unpack this idea of who it is that we're supposed to be as his people and what we're supposed to do. And Jesus is asked at one point in his ministry, what's the most important commandment that we're supposed to pay attention to? And Jesus says there's two, actually. There is love God and love others or love your neighbor, our mission statement. And what's interesting, I think, when we think about the early church, particularly as we've looked at it in our first week together, the idea of, of how they met together there in Acts chapter 2, I want to suggest that the early church understood this and understood it well, even in a culture that was upside down. In fact, let's look at the scripture again. Here in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now, it's interesting here. It wasn't just Sunday morning at, at 10 a.m. or 9 a.m., it wasn't online. It was in person. It was actually, how often? Well, it's amazing. It was every day. Every day they met together. It was all about having not just being in the same room, but it was about the emotional support too, I think, that came from that. Now, why did they gather so often? Well, I want to suggest as the early church, they needed each other. That They were going through some pretty messy times. There was persecution, and they were praying for each other, and there was miracles taking place. And yet we know, too, there was crying and rejoicing, and that they had glad and sincere hearts when we read about them. And I want to suggest that, that there is a, a fundamental difference between the church of the first century and the church today. And it's this, that first of all, the first century believers desperately needed each other, and they knew it. And they're gathering together on a daily basis reflected that. But I think in this current season, we are living in a time where believers do need each other desperately, and we've forgotten about that. We've forgotten about the place that we're supposed to be. And yet at the same time, and I say this with kindness and love, there is some issues that we have to work through, that I think there are things that have preoccupied us, much like those gathered in that house that we talked about last week as the man came and needed healing, that we aren't seeing those around us in need. 
in a way that we need to. And I think also living in the time in which we do, uh, that as Christians, we've forgotten our roots. And I know from my friends in the mental health community that we are living in a season, and I find this in my own training and counseling as I work with at-risk families, is that many people today are looking for autonomy and independence. And also, people want to do life without intimacy. They don't want to know each other's stories. So hearing a friend in the mental health community share about how they were trying to do an intake, and as they walked through the questions, knowing that this family was working through some difficulties, the person didn't want to reveal anything, partly out of a lack of trust. It's like, why do you people need to know these things? But really, it's about knowing their stories so that you can help them process through the kinds of things that they may need help on. And you just think about where we've been the last couple of years and what we've learned. And there is the beauty of what connects us through this platform, our online platform. But that's not sufficient in and of itself, right? I mean, you think about how work has changed and how people want the flexible schedule and how they really want to limit their engagement with other people and how shopping online is so convenient and how banking online is so convenient and, and then even watching sermons online. And there's nothing wrong with those things if we understand it in the context that uh, God wants us to. And I think that's what I want us to look at today. I want to suggest, too, that in this current season, I think people are pursuing a lifestyle that will destroy their mental health and actually will rob them of what is real joy and what is lasting fulfillment. We need to see that, and then we need to understand, as we saw here in the Genesis account, that that's not how God intended it to be, that he created us to be in community with each other. And when I think about what's going on at Asbury and the fact that they're into some, uh, I don't know, 190 hours, maybe over 200 hours now as you watch this, that to me is incredible. Now, it's not sustainable, but I do think just the flow and what's been taking place there that we need to pay attention to that. Because I don't know about you, but I want to be a person that lingers in relationships so that after church, we don't rush off, that we have community, that we stay connected in conversations, that we sit and not just wrap things up, but that we actually understand what life is all about. And that in those moments when we do life with each other, that we can encourage people in a way where we can be present with them. So what I want to unpack here is I think about this idea of gathering, why we should gather. What does it look like to honor Jesus as we gather? And three different ideas I want to present right now. First of all, we need to gather a gathering of grace. In Philippians, Paul says, you have a permanent place in my heart. You have remained partners with me in the wonderful grace of God. And we need to be that for other people, that we need to be a church that is not judgmental. I go back to the He Gets Us ads that were presented at the Super Bowl. I think a lot of the reasons why people push back is they weren't meant for people who were sort of religious. These ads were meant for people that we call the nuns or maybe even the duns, people who are far from Christ, who need to see what God has to offer in a fresh new way. Because we want to say clearly that it's because of God's grace that we want this church, Linden Road and every other church, to be a place that's a safe place. It's a place where people can belong and where people can believe. And, and once they do that, they can become part of something uh, even more grand with the idea of what the kingdom can offer. That it needs to be a safe place where people can come and share their stories. 
a place where people are welcomed with their doubts and with their questions and with their hurts, with the addictions that people face, with the baggage that they've got because of maybe some things that happened to them growing up, maybe even pushing through depression. So we want the church to be a gathering, a worship gathering of grace. We also want the church to be a place where it's a gathering of healing, where we get to confess to God and ask him for forgiveness. And we confess to the people around us for his healing. James says to us in chapter 5, verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, the whole idea is that we, we come and we confess and we pray and we get healed. Now, it may not be physical healing, but it could be a healing of our hearts and our minds. And it's in those moments when we do life with each other that we can offer to each other this gathering of grace and this gathering of healing. And then finally, as a church, we, we need to be outwardly focused with our actions, right? Remember the story last week out of Mark chapter 2? Remember the faith that they had is why Jesus said uh, he healed? Their faith helped the paralyzed man find healing and find his place in the story? Again, back to Acts chapter 2. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wow. And that wasn't just a couple people. That was actually a large group. And that's the problem I I know, too, over the years that churches have struggled. That wasn't because of what a couple people did in a small group. It was about them living together in community with each other. Now, in the scriptures, in the New Testament specifically, there are 59 different uh, one another's, the things that we're supposed to do with each other. And obviously, we don't have time to list them all out here today, but let me just go with a couple of them. First of all, we're supposed to serve one another. And that's what I think we do well here at Linden Road as a small church. The heart and passion of the people that call this their home and the good work they do. And and sometimes the work is maybe not actually on the front line like serving the meal, but it is bringing groceries, uh, bringing uh, the food items that can be turned into a meal to provide help for our neighbors and our friends. Or it's about finding kitchenware that we can add to our inventory to give away to others through the pots and pans ministry at uh, Love in the Name of Christ. So it's about our serving one another. It's also about showing hospitality. Now, in the season we find ourselves in right now, it's kind of interesting that we've had to move out to the Linden Hall, partly because of some issues with the boiler system here, and we're in the process of getting that fixed. But I'm not sure we're going to come back to the sanctuary right away. Our friends that have been joining us here on Sunday morning in the building have really enjoyed sitting at tables in the hall and sharing life together. And we've noticed the donuts that are here and the coffee, we've had to make more and have provided more. And it's clear that there's some great conversation taking place. And we think about that in the relationship with each other. Not only do we want to serve one another and show hospitality to each other and be gracious in that way, but we also want to be kind to each other. And and the idea of helping each other work through what we're working through. We all know that each of us have our own physical issues that are presenting to ourselves. I, I see it here each week with how people are being kind to each other as they call this place their spiritual home. And then I also see... Uh, the idea of encouragement that comes uh, to one another, the idea of the beauty of what it means to be in the kingdom 
and the encouragement of notes and letters. And I think some of you received a, a Valentine's Day card from us just to say, hey, we know you're there and we love you and we want to encourage you, even if we're apart from each other physically. And then also the thing that we need to lean into, and it's a practical sort of thing, is to carry each other's burdens. And there's a couple things going on here. Even last week we had some guests that came and uh, the one individual needed prayer, working through some heart issues. And it was so cool that in the moment that we could stop and pray for God's provision and care and that actually they needed some help financially and we were able to do that to help them get some medication. Again, that's how we carry each other's burdens. So how do we make this practical? You know, we get to this point in the message and I could try to list out all sorts of things about what we need to go out and do. And at this season, at this moment, one of the things we're going to be very intentional about over the next uh, 40 days is to stop and to ask God what he wants us to do, to draw a circle and to pray. And you'll learn more about that in the weeks ahead, to pray about how we can be Christ to each other, how we can carry each other's burdens, how we can show kindness to each other, uh, how we can walk alongside those in our community that are in need in spiritual and emotional ways, as well as physical and material ways. There's all sorts of things we could map out. And as we think about what we've talked about over these last couple weeks, I just want it to be simple in, in a very practical way, is where you could love someone as God has loved you. To think back over the last couple weeks in particular about what it means to be a church that's devoted to each other, how we care for each other, to a church that wants to be irrationally generous, and to a church that wants to proclaim the good news of who Jesus is and offer others the opportunity to have a relationship with him. And where it can get practical is by simply being aware of those around you. Uh, when you see someone who is in need or someone that is hurting, uh, someone maybe who's lost a loved one, that you, that you don't just leave a comment that's so easy to do, but you maybe pick up the phone. Or even better, how about going over to their home and just sitting with them? Silence can be awkward, but it can also be healing and in those moments. Or because when you're hurting, someone will do the same thing for you. And so over these last three weeks, we've talked about this idea of what it means to be the church, who we are and who we desire to be, and to be reminded that we are the hands and feet of Jesus and that it is our privilege and opportunity to walk alongside other human beings. Remember that statistic at the beginning from the Harvard study that one out of three people are dealing with loneliness and just need to know their place in the story. And we have an incredible opportunity to help them see in a whole new way about God's love, his confounding love that comes to us in a way that we just don't understand and aren't quite sure what it's about, but it's about our ability to gather as his people and encourage each other as we worship him. But we do that through acts of service and living out our faith in very practical ways. That's who the church is. That's who we get the opportunity to be and the opportunity to be present with each other in those moments when life is complicated, but also in those moments when life is joyous, that together we get to worship God through our acts of service with each other to know that that's what it means to be the kingdom. And so I encourage you in that as we all together be the church. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the work that you have done in and through us. Again, we celebrate in our context over 200 years of your working in and through a particular people here in Mansfield. And we just pray now today that we can be, that we can be people who are bold and have courage to lean into new conversations and opportunities and together to offer others the hope of the gospel. 
Jesus, we thank you for your life. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would seal us into that good work. And we pray it in your strong name. Amen.